Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode. Today we are in the book of Romans, and we're going to pick up the reading in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, and we're going through chapter 4, verse 8 today. It says in verse 28 of Romans chapter 3, Therefore we conclude that a man or person is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. I want to stop there for today and let's talk about these verses. We have been in this book for several episodes and several of the previous episodes we've dealt with this whole concept of justification by faith alone. We understand what faith and true sincere belief in Jesus Christ is. We saw how Jesus is our mercy seat. His blood is what's applied that God has accepted as the the what's for all sacrifice for sins, all sins of all people of all time, Jew and Gentile alike, no difference. And this justification by God is where God imputes righteousness to the guilty sinner who has repented and put their entire faith, reliance and trust and confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ completely alone, apart from any works of the law or religious duty. And so in the last episode, we talked about Abraham because we see in chapter 4, Paul is going to establish his concluding argument and his conclusions for his argument that he's already set forth in chapter 3. He's using two of the greatest Jewish examples to prove his point. The first one is Abraham, and we will get back into Abraham some more in the rest of this chapter in future episodes. But he he first starts with Abraham, who is the father of our faith. Both Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus Christ count Abraham as the father of our faith and the Abrahamic covenant as that basis and the Abrahamic covenant itself from Genesis 15 is entirely 
by grace. It is proof positive that it's God and God alone and his grace that, that keeps that and that provides these blessings to us, just like it was in Genesis 15. Because if you go back and you read it, you'll find out that God put Abraham into a deep sleep. Abraham was asleep. And after, the, after Abraham cut up the pieces of the animals and laid it all out like God instructed him, because that was the, the order of the day, it was part of that custom, was that was how you cut covenant with someone. And so Abraham cut the pieces and laid them out like they were supposed to be. And then God put Abraham to sleep and God alone walked through the pieces, cutting the covenant purely on the basis of grace and of God's faithfulness to fulfill it. Man could never do it. And that's exactly why God put Abraham to sleep because it's not about us keeping anything. It's about God granting it to us as an act of his beautiful, wonderful grace. Praise be to God. So it has nothing to do with works. It is all about justification by faith alone. And you can see that confirmed also by Paul when he wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. So Paul is establishing this and he uses Abraham, but he also uses a second great example, revered and treasured and beloved by the Jewish people. And that is David, the beloved king. Hallelujah. And so he tells us in verse five, he's, he's beginning to tie Abraham and David together here in verse five. And he says this, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted to him for righteousness. So here, this is the transition verse. This is where he's establishing the faith. He is establishing the fact, but he is also tying Abraham and David as proof positive of that fact. So in verse 5, he's simply telling us that this salvation, this justification by faith alone, is available to anyone and everyone, even though they're ungodly, though they are guilty sinners, yet if they will believe in him and not rely on any works of the flesh, because he says here, you can't, you can't work. There, there is no works that can be done. You're not relying on anything to earn your salvation. You're not relying upon keeping those 613 commandments. You're not relying upon keeping the 10 commandments. You're not relying upon striving in your flesh. You're not relying upon any kind of religious duty or service. Going to church every week, paying your tithes, being kind to all the little old ladies you see on the street that need help with their groceries or whatever it is. You're not relying upon any of those things. You are not working to earn your salvation. That's what he's talking about here. Works is another issue. James brings it up in his book and deals highly with it, proving that sincere faith has works that support that and in fact do confirm 
that the faith is real and genuine and authentic. And we saw that a little bit when we looked at Abraham in the last episode. And there are works Jesus told us about, and the good works will glorify God. But those come after we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. They are not anything that we do to earn salvation. And this is the point he's talking about here. Because what Paul is proving here is how are we justified? How is any guilty sinner washed clean? How is any guilty sinner, how does any guilty sinner receive the imputation of God's righteousness upon them so that they no longer stand guilty before a holy God, but they have been declared righteous and accepted with favor into the beloved family of God. How does that happen? That's what Paul is talking about here. And it does not happen through any religious works. It does not happen through any striving of the flesh. It does not happen through any keeping of any law. And so he's proving that here, and he's using Abraham, who was the father of our faith, and now he's going to look at David. And so he's telling us that what matters, there's only one work that God said we must do, and that's found in John chapter 6, verse 29, and it is to believe on Jesus whom God has sent. We believe that he is the one who has died for us, the innocent dying on behalf of the guilty, and that we believe that God will justify us when we put our faith and our trust in him and in his finished work alone. Even though we were guilty and we are undeserving. And he promises this to anyone and everyone who will repent and believe, just like he said in Romans chapter 3, verse 22. So this person, whoever this person is, their faith then gets reckoned or credited to them for righteousness exactly the same way that Abraham's did. Just like Abraham's was, so too is it today when any of us put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ and truly believe. We also receive that justification and that decree of righteousness where God will impute righteousness to us because of our belief. So we saw it in Abraham. Now let's take a look as he moves us into the, the example of David. David here is the second witness proving this point. Remember, God has a principle from Deuteronomy 19. The mouth of two or three witnesses establishes a truth. And so David is the second witness here. He was their beloved king, a worship leader. Their, their, he was also a prophet, although he never really bore that title. Yet many of the psalms that he wrote, such as Psalm 22, Psalm 2, Psalm 110, etc. There were many that are prophetic and they have prophecies in them that relate to the Messiah. And also David wrote their hymnal, so to speak, their 
worship songs and, and song book, which they call and we call the Psalms. Many of them were set to music and used as hymns. David knew a thing or two about God's mercy and God's forgiveness, especially in the matter of Uriah and Bathsheba. And you can read the story in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. And in Psalm 51, we are given his beautiful prayer of repentance. And I encourage you to consider that as a wonderful biblical guide for a prayer of repentance. Maybe the sinner's prayer was based upon that, I don't know. And it's not that you have to use any fancy words. It's not that you have to say some written sinner's prayer. You come to God and you call upon him, and repent of your sins with whatever words that are true to your heart, because that's what God's after is our heart. But Psalm 51 is a biblical example of repentance. And it tells us many things, hallelujah, in there. But David also tells us in a different psalm about the blessedness of those whose sins are forgiven. And it's the psalm that's quoted here by Paul. And I want to read that psalm to you as we begin to draw to a close here. What does David tell us about having our sins forgiven in Psalm 32? Let's look. Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the, the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So David had a lot to tell us about the blessedness of the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is washed away. He's telling us good news, blessedness of this life. That's what it's all about. What does that mean? What is to be blessed? Well, it means favor and goodness. It's talking about a state of being that is enviable. 
In other words, it's a state of being that others would desire and that you desire for yourself. You see, justification is where God imputes or credits to you righteousness by faith without any works. Grace, it's an act of his grace entirely. And grace cannot be earned like wages, but rather is a free gift by faith and surrender to the Lord. Now you may say, oh, well, that's the catch. You've got to surrender to the Lord's Lordship. Well, yes, and you do need to count that cost and you need to understand that. But let me tell you the same thing that David was telling you here and the same thing that Paul said when he first started his book and he declared himself a bondservant or in other words, a pierced ear slave. Do you know why a slave would become a pierced ear slave? It was because he had such a good master that he served, that he never, ever, ever wanted to leave him. He never wanted to go anywhere else. He never wanted to serve anybody else because he had a good, good master that he loved. That's what a pierced ear slave is. That's the kind of master that we have when we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He's a good master. And so David tells us here about many different blessings that he lists here. He tells us overall in verse 1 and 2 about the blessed state of the person whose transgression is forgiven. And then he expounds on that in the rest of this chapter. First of all, he tells us about being under the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. How, how when he sinned, his conscience was eating him up. The Holy Spirit was convicting him. And he said, I'm going to confess my sin. I'm not going to try to hide it. Because if I hide my sin, I'm not going to find any mercy. Read Proverbs 28, 13, and you'll see the truth of that. That was written by Solomon, David's son. Maybe he got that from David. But David knew that. David knew that he had to confess his sin and be honest with God. Same thing today. We have to confess our sins and be honest with God. And then he will forgive us. And he did so for David. He said in verse 5, Part of five, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So after he confessed his sin, God forgave him. And now he goes on and he tells us about these blessings and gives some details about them. First of all, there's fellowship with God, the ability to pray and God will hear and answer our prayers. Then he lists protection that hiding place that God becomes for us and the deliverance that he will provide for us to protect us and to keep us. Then he talks about how God will instruct us and lead us. The Lord himself is talking here, beginning in verse 8, and he says, I'm going to instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. So he, he tells us, I'll be the one that will help you walk this walk of faith in this life. I will guide you. I will teach you my word. I will help you. If you will listen to me, you come to me and you receive me 
and become part of my family and I'm going to begin to teach you and take care of you and help you get through life safely and rightly. And then he talks about not being like the, the horse or the mule that's stubborn, but rather the desired state is to be neck reined. And an animal, a horse that's neck reined, all the rider has to do is gently touch the rein to the side of the horse's neck. And that horse then immediately obeys. That's what God wants for us, is to be so sensitive to his Holy Spirit that when the Holy Spirit lightly touches us, lightly calls us to pray or to help someone or to call someone or to send a card of encouragement to someone or to witness to that customer service representative that's on the phone with you or whatever it may be, that you will obey it. To be neck reined is to be that sensitive one that is is so sensitive that you, you just immediately will obey. You see, we saw that in Abraham's example yesterday too, where as soon as God told him to leave, he left, he departed. As soon as God came to him and said he had to go and, you know, bind Isaac, he left and he went in obedience. Early the next, the very next day, there was no delay. Don't let there be a delay. Let us be neck reined as well. And then, David ends this psalm telling us about the mercy that will surround us and the joy and peace that we will find. This is the, the definition of a truly blessed life. And it will occur to all who will believe in Jesus Christ. And so David tells us about it. In the New Testament, all of the apostles did the same thing. In Romans 4, Paul's already said that David is describing to us this blessed life. And he did so in Psalm 32, which we just saw. He's relating it to us. He's communicating from his own personal experience. And this is exactly the same thing that the apostles of Jesus did as well. And I want to close with these final verses found in 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Sounds a little bit like what David did in Psalm 32. The only difference is that David was saying that in faith forward. John, however, is now telling us, we know Yeshua, the Messiah, has come. We've seen him ourselves. We've handled him, meaning that they, they were able to touch him. They were able to see with their very own eyes and experience life with him. We've heard him speak ourselves. That's the difference. We know, and we're telling you what we know, 
and it's good news. And if you will believe it and receive it, you too will be full of joy like we are. And you see, beloved friend, if you don't know Jesus, come to know him, taste and see the Lord is good. And you will find yourself to be a pierced ear slave also saying, I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't want to serve any other master. You're too good to me. I want to serve you forever. I want to love you forever. I want to be in relationship with you forever. And if you already know him, you can do exactly what John and all the other apostles did and tell other people, let me tell you about the great God that I serve. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you how good he is to me. I've seen, I've experienced it myself. I know how blessed it is to follow him. I know how good he is. I know how much of a loving master he is. Let me share him with you. You see, that's what John is telling us here, is that we share from our own personal experiences the good news about Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I pray that this has been a blessing to you today. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes. God bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.